Hello, and welcome to the Gospel Vanguard Podcast. This is your host, Justin Godley and Tim Kurtz. Good evening, Tim. Hey, Justin. How's it going? The topic of this episode in particular is on the arguments that exist for God. Is there evidence that points to the existence of God? Is it logical for us to believe there is a God? Is truth really subjective? We're just going to go ahead and get started. This is our first episode, and um, we're going to go ahead and play a clip uh, from Joe Rogan. In the event that we can't have permission or we don't have permission to use this, uh, the link of this clip can be found in the description for this episode. Okay, so that's pretty much it. I mean, the rest of it, he just kind of goes on and on about it for a little bit longer. Um, So I guess we can go from there and we can kind of just get into our main points, kind of do an analysis and a rebuke of that that worldview. So uh, Tim, go ahead and uh, kind of... Get us started. What are your thoughts? On oh, what we just, oh, what we just what we saw. Just saw. Yeah. Uh, well, I've kind of been there. I know. I kind of know what that guy's talking about. Mm. Um, uh, what we saw was a guy talking about a near-death experience he had. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird feeling when you're you're on the edge there. I never went as far as he did. Thank the Lord. But uh, it does it does put life into perspective for you. It's it's something like you can't really explain. You just have to, you kind of have to experience it. Mm-hmm. But it does. He's absolutely right. It, it's a it's a sacred moment to steal his word. Uh, it's yeah yeah it is and um, that is something that I think we're going to talk about eventually on this podcast is uh, our own personal testimonies and the other things that we've been through uh, him and I separately. Um, I think when I saw this, it was the perfect, I think, uh, kind of representation of how, of where we're going in the topic, because it gives us a lot to, to like kind of work through. Um, you guys didn't see, because we don't, we're not technically, we're not technically on YouTube or anything like that, but I literally just looked over at Tim when he got to the part about being an atheist and still, and still saying like it's a miracle, and I was like, it just goes to show you that. I mean, for those who of you who are believer, who are believers listening on this, like it just goes to show you that even even the unbeliever will sit there and blatantly say what happened to me was a miracle, but I'm still an atheist. It reminds um, me of the story of the uh, man who thought he was dead. Yeah, and he's telling his wife, his family, he's like, I, I'm a dead man. Right. And his wife, his family's trying to convince him, you know, it's like, you're, you're not dead. You're breathing, you're walking. And the guy was convinced he's dead. So they took him to a doctor. Yeah. And the doctor's sitting there, ponders for a minute. And he asks the man, do dead men bleed? The guy thought about it. He goes, I don't have a heartbeat. The heart stopped. So probably not, no. The doctor takes a little pen, pricks his finger. The guy starts to bleed and he goes, look at that. Dead men do bleed. <laughs> So it goes to show you there's there's no one thing. There's no one piece of evidence as a believer you can give to someone. There's no one experience that 100% all the time is going to make someone believe that there's a God. I mean, we, you can you listen to the clip. The guy's still an atheist after almost dying. Right. The, the, some people are just hell-bent against it. And there's nothing we can do. I mean, all we can do is we can pray for people and we can plant the little seeds... Uh, we'll be getting to that for you guys, some ways that you can possibly plant some seeds with people you interact with. Well, I think that leads you to your, 
to your point. I think that leads you to your first point. Yeah, but there, there is no single piece of evidence that can definitively prove the existence of God. Like, as in the story I just gave an as an example, you can show someone every wonder creation, every flaw in evolution, every biological signature that says, look, there's an intelligent creator everywhere. They can look at all that and go, wow, that's nice, but, but you haven't convinced me. Right. Right. Um, a couple, one that we can look to right off the bat is um, morality. Morality is an argument for God's existence. C.S. Lewis, a very famous author and apologist of the Christian faith, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. Uh, some of you may have read it. I have, on several occasions, read it, listened to it on an audiobook. Um, Lewis wrote about the natural law, or as we know them, moral laws, um, right and wrong, um, conscience, essentially, that we all have. Uh, he argued that the existence of, mora of morality points towards some moral code that humans subconsciously adhere to. Mor moral arguments become nonsensical if there are no standards. For instance, in an argument, opposing parties are attempting to show that their argument is more closely regarded to what is right than that of their opponents. We've all had arguments, maybe with a, with a spouse, with our friends. We'll, essentially, what we're trying to do is explain why we're right. But that right that we're appearing, appealing to what is that? Well, that's what Lewis and other scholars have called the natural law or the moral law. Um, an illustration, um, you can imagine two lines, just two random lines drawn on a piece of paper. Now suppose you wanted to figure out which one of those two lines was closely or more closely resembled uh, what we know as a straight line. Well, the only way or one of the only ways that I can think of that you could measure each one of those lines to see which one was straighter would mm -hmm. be to measure it against a ruler. That's our standard for what straight is. Mm. Now, without that ruler, there is no way to tell which of those two lines is straighter. If a ruler didn't even exist and there was no standard for what straight was, you wouldn't be able to tell which of those two lines was straighter. It's the same with morality. Mm. Now, some would argue morality is merely a social construct. And it's determined by what benefits the common good. Um, but there are a few flaws with this argument. If morality was merely a social construct, every society would have its own set of morals, and one could not say anything about any other society's morals or actions, as there was never a standard. Um, for instance, think of the Nazis in World War II. I believe Lewis actually uses that as an analogy in his book. Um, if there's no moral right and wrong, there's no moral standard, then no one, no country could have said anything about what Germany was doing to the Jews, or it's even some of its own citizens. There's no right and wrong. There's no no standard that we're appealing to, that we that we can see what's right. It's like a mirror. We we can't see what's right. We can't see what's wrong. There's nothing to compare it to. Um, this is disproved by the existence of laws across many different countries and nations who all have some laws against murder, some various laws against theft. Uh, for example, if you look at uh, Germany, for instance, they have laws against murder, mm. theft. If you go to a country that has like the caste system, like um, I believe it would be a Hindu nation. Like, I can't think of an example of an actual Hindu nation off the top of my head. Um, they have the caste system where, yes, you can't murder. Yes, you shouldn't steal. But if you're in a high class and you steal from maybe a lower um, caste member, or member of society, the punishment is not as severe 
as if you were in a low caste and did the same thing to a high caste member of society. So yes, it's still there. The same laws apply. It's just the circumstances around it are slightly different. But overall, that standard is still there, and it's across the world. You'll see it everywhere. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think one of the cool things about what you kind of just said to take away from it about morality is the fact that like um, it's really, uh, what's the word? It's really obvious. You know what I mean? Like, um, So I remember I had a conversation with a family member. I won't give you an exact individual. Um, but I had a conversation with a family member once about this concept of morality. It's like, if there was no such thing as good or evil, then whatever I did would have been justified. Whatever reaction I had to something is justified. Like, I could literally go over to somebody and kill them, and I could do it for whatever right reason I have or think, and it could be justified through my own desire to do it. You know what I mean? Um, that intrinsic desire, that intrinsic reality of right and wrong is like a huge is a huge deal you know and similar to what you were saying about the ruler concept I feel like that kind of applies to that what do you think no absolutely and I'll touch on that uh, towards the end of our episode to kind of wrap things and bring things full circle um, but then you have the argument that some people or at least that I've heard that well what about um, moral laws being just the construct of society you know what's best for society yeah but yeah and then you would ask the question like how do you know that like, how does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, how would how did we come to this point where that was something we put in our, our society? Yes. Yeah. Taking in the what's good for everyone may not always be good for the individual. Um, for instance, if, if I asked, why shouldn't I be selfish? And society told me, well, it's because it's bad for society. That doesn't get us anywhere. That brings me right back to the question, okay, so why shouldn't I be selfish? It's good for society, but what's it doing for that individual that wants to be selfish or wants to, say, rob a bank or, uh, I don't know, take, take an extra donut at the potluck. I mean, you get where I'm going with this. There's no benefit to that individual as, as it pertains to society. You know, society will benefit, yes, because he's not being selfish, but there's no reason for him to not be selfish. You get, you right, exactly, okay. exactly, because again, it's like he has every reason to do so, you know what I mean? Like, and, and there's going to be plenty of atheists and plenty of people that don't believe that. They're going to say like, oh, well, you know, you just do it so it just we all get along. You know, that's the, all, it's just a law that helps us get along. And it's like, yeah, but where do you think that comes from? It's all not- of us getting along? Like if we really looked at the actual, you know, if we were looking at it from an animalistic perspective, sure, maybe that makes sense as to where – you know, there's some level of instinct or something that structures us a certain way. And, I mean, there's plenty of animals I could pick from, from the no, animal I mean, kingdom. That, the animal but, kingdom doesn't even always follow that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of getting back to other points that we're going to make later, um, probably even in this episode. But essentially it's like, it's just like getting along doesn't appear to be, doesn't appear to be, doesn't appear to make sense if we go along with the argument that atheists make in that regards you know what i mean from just a practical like you know cultural significance yeah and if you run into someone that says well it's just a a, a, an instinct you know we're just like animals in that regard well there's a lot of other things animals do that i don't think humans want to be doing at all for instance there's some animals that eat their young if they're hungry yeah like mothers just eating their young we we don't see humans doing that I mean, we have abortion, but that's a different issue. We've got, um, 
all kinds of other all kinds of all terrible feral things. behaviors and that they're awful yeah i mean i would not as you know as part of the human race i don't want to be associated with that at all and i doubt they want to either but i doubt that they think about that right um but yeah to wrap up our first point um without god there is no moral right or wrong as he sets the standard and without that standard there's you can't say you can't make any judgments whatsoever and it's essentially it's it's illogical if you follow it far enough right without a god without just like a god of of similar value or similar structure as the christian judeo god then then what you know essentially what tim was saying is absolutely 100 percent true yep now one question i get very often when i make this argument with people and i've done it mostly at least in my own experience, with more educated like biology professors, physicist professors. Um, they'll come back with, okay, well, if God made everything and he really does exist, where did he come from? Now, before we get there, there's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything that, that exists or that's created came from something. So they'll, they'll bring that up to me and they'll go, okay, you know, since every act, every action has a reaction, this, that, and the other, since I say the Big Bang does not happen, or it had a creator, that's a whole different topic. They'll say, okay, what made God? Well, that's kind of simple if you think about it in the right way. The way they think about it is God is bound by time, bound by matter. Um, it's essentially the fishbowl argument, if you've ever heard that. It's... We are essentially the fish on the inside, inside of a bowl, and God is on the outside. But all we know is what's inside our quote-unquote fishbowl, and we're trying to explain what God is, what's outside that fishbowl, in the terms of what we have in our fishbowl, if that makes sense. So we can't explain God in terms of, in, in our terms, in our terms of time, matter, space. He exists outside those. He created those. He started time. Um, we have verses about um, how God is outside of time. If you look at Second Peter 3, 8, uh, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is a day. And that, that further explains that the Lord is outside of our construct of time. If you want to look at another verse, we have Revelation 1, 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, the one who is and always was, and the one who is to come, the Almighty One. Again, outside of time, always is, always was. The time is, God is not bound by time. He's outside of it, in like a different dimension. Uh, if you want to look at another one, we have another one. Um, Hebrews 7.3. He, talking about the Lord, is without father or mother or genealogy. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He continues a priest forever. Yeah, and that key word at the end, forever. Forever. No genealogy, no beginning, no end. Um, and to round out, if we look again, if we go back to Psalms 90, verse 4, uh, for another one about a thousand years. A thousand years is in your sight as but as yesterday, when it is past, as a watch in the night. Again, relating how God sees time differently than we do. Again, we're yeah. stuck in our fishbowl. We can only describe God, or at least try to describe God, in our own terms. Right. And that's where a lot of people have a hard time understanding or even visualizing what God is. It, it's it's not immediately 
uh, it's not immediately it doesn't immediately make sense to them. Yeah. So I think I just, I was going back to the uh, Psalms 94 as you were reading it. And I'm just like, this happened thousands, like he wrote this thousands of years ago. (laughs) He wrote for a thousand years in your sight are, but as a yesterday, when is the past or as what, as a watch in the night for you, a thousand years are as passing day, as brief as a few night hours. So it's like, again, this has been known this has been known for thousands of years this yeah. concept of god in in regards to his mm-hmm. his timelessness yeah, we you know didn't, what i mean yeah we didn't have physicists back then we didn't have you know people that were like okay we got the first we got the dimension of time we've got all these dimensions right. like physicists and uh, are coming up with or we're understanding how the world works and all that this was back in these people lived in tents right <laughs> like they had no Hundreds no of years technology. before Christ, hundreds of years before Christ, thousands of years before us in the modern time. You know what I mean? How does he know that? How would he know that? How would the writer of Psalms 94, 94, like be writing it in that, in that, in that way specifically? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where did he get the idea? Yeah. Like, like to begin of with. just saying, oh yeah, this is a thousand years of this and I'm going to put this in a, in a psalm. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like. It's like where would he have gotten that idea of like just saying that you've been around for this long or you've been timeless? Well, to be fair and to give some, I guess, some grounding to this, uh, Psalms were written, I believe, by David. He wrote the Psalms, and he grew up. He was Jewish, and he grew up in the Jewish faith. They believed, they knew in their writings that God was all powerful, timeless. That's probably where he got the idea, or at least the notion of time in his sense. Uh, today, science is just kind of confirming that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, where we're seeing that yes, time is a dimension that we have, and God is outside of that, and that they knew it back then. Right. Yeah. And but see, that's what I'm saying. That blows the mind when you realize that they knew it back then. I think that's the part of it that a lot of people today are missing, is the fact that we knew it back then. Like and like Tim was saying, there was no technology. There wasn't anything that we could look at. There was nothing that we can measure these things with. We just had to trust and believe that it was true. And it was inspired by something. There had to be a beginning. And it had to make sense in a certain way. And there's evidence to suggest that it, we serve a timeless God. Absolutely. Now, if you're, if you're a believer and you're sitting there going, okay, you guys have brought up two decent points. Maybe even not decent. It depends on your opinion. Uh, you've brought up two points for God's existence. Great. Um, what if someone comes back to me and says, okay, does the Bible say anything about that? Well, you're in luck. It does. <laughs> okay. Romans 1, 8, yes, Romans 1, 18 through 25, I believe, talks about this. You sit there and you say, okay, well, yes, we have morality. We've got all the, the archaeological discoveries in the past. Um, which we'll cover eventually on this channel. We've got all these evidences that I can give an atheist or a non-believer of some kind. Why don't they believe? Well, I think this verse that Paul writes here, I think this covers it pretty well. It says, The wrath of the Lord is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and mm. exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, this next verse, think about our society as I read it. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and, worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Yeah, so go ahead and break that down for us real quick. Verse 24, because I know you just said, um, you were just saying essentially it has something to do with our society. Or you were saying something about us thinking about it in a way. Yes, think about our society. Um, Paul, when he was evangelizing in his ministry, he was doing so in the Roman Empire. Um, a very, very wicked place. I mean, you had all manner of sexual immorality, impurity, uh, uh, degeneracy, everything going on at that time period. Some could argue it's worse than even our day. Um, but he, he went out and he still evangelized in that time. And I think that's why this verse rings true. He said, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degradation of their bodies with one another. Think about what we have in our society today. Not only just with the push from the, um, the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we've, got, we've got hookup culture now. Yeah. We've got, I mean, we've got homosexual marriage. Yeah. We've got apps like, um, what is it, Tinder. Tinder, Tinder, Grinder, uh, all, all these things. You can go out and you can. We you got know, Hinge, the greatest got, atrocity of them all. I'm just joking. You got all these things that you true. can just go out and you can pursue these uh, impure sexual relationships. Uh, it's, it's it's out there and it's like society is starting to turn a blind eye towards it. We essentially have. Yeah. It's the same in Paul's day. He said because that they turned our hearts away, the Lord turned them over to their sexual desires. I believe he's done that with our with our generation. Yeah, no, I mean, well, what's crazy is, again, when we look at Paul, we look at his ministry, you know, he's the first generation church. But, you know, thousands of years later, we're still dealing with the, the same thing. You know what I mean? And the concept of how Paul brings this up in verse 22 is, is huge, is huge. Um, just because it's like, yeah. There's so much more evidence for that. And I think that's what's kind of overwhelming to our culture, uh, American culture, is just uh, it's just how evident it is. So that is one of those things, too, when you're thinking about, like, the sexuality aspect of it. It's interesting how a lot of that's tied into the sexuality aspect of it. We're definitely going to talk a lot about that in this podcast, is uh, having some discussions about, just from, like, a cultural lens, how... You know, the concept of porneia, stuff like that. Some stuff that I've actually done some research on. We can definitely talk about that in the Absolutely. podcast. So, as we not. can see, the world needs it. Yeah. Um, next verse, um, as the last one I brought up, not not the Romans one, the one prior to that, I'm sorry, it was um, Second Peter 3.10, talking about the fool, says there is no God. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. 
And that may just go to show the last verse was talking about, or the previous verse to that was talking about uh, the suppression of truth and that the fool, uh, the fools in their hearts will de- reject God. I think that's really what's happening. Yeah. That that's, that's what's happened. No one can outright say this all came out from random chance. There's just, there's no way. The Bible says so. There's, you, no one can look at the world we're in and say absolutely there is no God. They can't. I mean, if you, you look at even uh, Richard Dawkins, the leading evolutionist, uh, or evolutionist apologist, if you want to call him that, um, he relates, he, even he says that we came from something. Now, his something is extraterrestrial life that had some very high intelligence, because apparently you could see the markers in biology and all that. He admits this, but he claims it's anything but God, which he's a fool, well, at least according to the Bible. Yes, according to the, according to our Christian wisdom, he's a fool. I had a conversation with somebody the other day, uh, who I'm, I don't know, I'm willing to bet was an atheist, but he started bringing up points about how, you know, things constructed were like taking millions of years to like get constructed, you know, and I don't, you know, I used to rebuke, I used to rebuke that knowledge, um, but I don't, I don't go the same approach with it, I, you know. Nowadays, I kind of just listen to kind mm-hmm. of understand what they're saying. Yep. Um, but that's just kind of ridiculous. And again, we'll talk about that on the podcast. But there's just yep. points we'll where um, when we think about just like uh, intentional design, it's that whole thing of like, okay, well, it didn't just randomly appear. I shared – you remember that, that meme I shared with you? That one about the uh, – uh, Remind me. With the flower. Describe it for me. With the flower and the, the – or the, the – uh, Latina couple, they were sitting there like, you know, um, trying to make a cake, and he was pretending to be an atheist, and basically, we can put it in the link description for you guys, but essentially he was like, he, he was trying to make a cake with all these different recipes, but then the... the Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yes, yes, yes. That yeah, was... yeah, yeah, so he's sitting there, and he's trying to make this cake, <laughs> he's sense. using all these different recipes, and he's like, yeah, this is how we make the cake, this is how it all happened, it was just random, and he's, yeah, he's the, impersonating, the, impersonating the atheist. Yeah, all the ingredients were, essentially, it was a guy sitting at, a, at, a, at a, a kitchen counter, he's got flour, he's got his eggs, he's got all the ingredients that you'd have to make a cake, and he's just sitting there waiting. He's waiting for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Now, I yeah. know we're going to make the atheist very mad at us right yeah, now. Yeah, I'll that, send the link okay. in the description for you guys. But basically, he's sitting there and he's like saying, yeah, so it all just kind of came together like this thing. And his wife goes, just casually asks the question, where did it come from? And the guy jokingly says, he says, you know, he says, you're asking too many questions. He's like, it was all clearly here. You know what I mean? It didn't really come from anywhere. And it just kind of made itself into a cake. And that's the logic. That's it. Like, yeah, the, I mean, again. Given enough time. Like, where did it come from? And I think, again, funny enough, that brings us back to the second point where he's talking about the beginnings. He's talking about there has to be a beginning, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the question is, like, where did it come from? You know, you're going to get a lot of uh, – you're going to get a lot from, like, people that don't believe that are going to be saying, like – they're going to basically be saying it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Well, and You ask too many questions, you know, where, where, where all these pieces for the Big Bang came from is, is regard, irregardless. It doesn't matter. They'll say it, time. It's, it's here. They'll yeah, say time, enough, too. Given enough time and enough space dust and enough – uh, hyper-compressed gas or whatever they want to call it. I, I hear it different by the person, you know, whoever I'm talking to. It's it's a different story. Um, and some people say, well, you, it doesn't matter where it came from. We're here now, and this is how things work. Now, to a point, I agree with them. There are some scientific um, and biological 
processes that we can see and we can replicate that. But just because we can replicate those processes and they do certain things does not mean that's how the whole system works. Uh, I like to give the example of look uh, a car mechanic and a car manufacturer. Uh, if you look out, if you look at a car, you know you've got got your mechanic. He can repair the thing, he can repair the engine, get you back on the road. But just because he knows how the engine works doesn't mean he knows how the whole car was put together. He doesn't. He may not necessarily know how to build a car. Now the internals he might have, but everything, you know, like the, the panels, the doors, the frame, that doesn't explain where the car came from. You'd have to go to the manufacturer for that. Does that make, does that make no, sense? No, that makes sense. Yeah. No, that makes sense, 100%. Because, again, it goes back to what we're trying to say, what we're addressing these first two points, which is like, okay, clearly there has to be good and evil. Without good and evil, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense. And why, you know what I mean? Like, the why behind morality. And then we're asking the question, the beginning, like the beginning, it's like, it still doesn't make sense if there isn't a God, you know what I'm saying? Like who, who put, who obviously put those things in place or, or what put those things in place? If we're really just trying to be as unbiased as possible. No, think, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we made a good, I think, I feel like we made a good argument for, for that, I especially like, biblically. I feel like we're starting to ramble. <laughs> especially biblically. Do we want to move on to our last point? Sure. Okay. Um. Okay, with, with the existence of God, or non-existence, as some of you may believe, um, we get down to truth. It brings us around to truth. What is truth, and is it important? Justin, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? What, what is, is truth? What is truth, and is it important? So are you, asking me, are you asking me for a definition from my subjective perspective? No, I'm asking, perspective. is it important, and to you, what is truth? So obviously I would think truth is important, 100%. And, you know, uh, like what is truth? Essentially from where I'm standing, truth is something that is undeniable. It's a philosophical fact that's undeniable. That's truth. That's not far off. And I'll say yes, truth is important uh, because you, in order to have logic, you have to have truths. Um, but one of the one of the best theories of truth that I've I've come across is the correspondence theory of truth, which states that something, a thought or a belief, is true if it corresponds with reality. Uh, for instance, the my my thought that the sky is blue. Well, is that true? According to the correspondence theory of truth, if I look outside, the sky is blue. My thought of the sky is blue is true because it corresponds with what actually exists. Um, that do you, un mm -hmm. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, same goes with uh, a theory, like maybe a scientific theory, or um, a personal belief you may have. As long as it corresponds with reality, according to the correspondence theory of truth, that, that, that's true. Right. And it has to be undeniable. And I mean, if we think about like just, Absolutely. you know, what we see in front of us, we're not ever rejecting what we see. And it's funny because, again, I've been, I've had several conversations with several people that are of the agnostic or atheist perspective. That'll sit there and they'll say, well, how do we know that, you know, me talking to you right now is real? And I'd say, if I punched you in the face right now, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a little aggressive, <laughs> that's a but little. you get my point. If I punched you in the face or if I were to like slap this table or if I were to sit on you and knock it up, I mean, that's pretty true, right? That's pretty real. With your reality at the time. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, it's like, you know what I mean? If my if my hand were to hit you in the face, it's gonna hit you. 
and then you're going to react to it. So yeah. therefore, we know for a fact, at least from that perspective, that it's that it's undeniable. You know what I mean? That it's undeniably there, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. And to continue on, um, logic. Truth is logical. Without truth, we wouldn't be able to have logic. Uh, to use logic actually assumes the correspondence theory of truth. As logic presupposes truth, or logic presupposes the truth is real. Uh, without truth, again, there's nothing, nothing, there is no logic. You can't have a logical argument if something isn't true. Um, now, in the philosophical world, this gives us first principles, which are self-evident truths that cannot be denied and are logical. So, for instance, a first principle would be, uh, an example I like to use, 1 plus 1 equals 2. That it's, it's true. And it's logical. Logical, one plus one. You have two items in front of you. You know, one, one and one. That's two. It makes sense, and it's it, it corresponds with reality. It's true. Um, uh, all logic can be reduced to the law of non-contradiction, which means no two opposite statements can both be true at the same time in the same sense. Now, to give you an example, if I said one plus one is two, and 1 plus 1 is also 4, those are contradictory statements. They cannot be both be true at the same time. So in order to have logic, 1 plus 1 always has to equal 2. It can't sometimes, it can't equal 2 to me, and then Justin says, no, it's 5, or some someone else says it's 12. Well, I can. Well, you can. Especially if I'm a quantum mechanic. You can, but you'd be wrong. Um <laughs> But yes, this is why we have we can have logical thinking because there are there are truths that logic holds to. You can't have can't have truth, can't have logic without truth. Now, as Justin was saying, you know his truth may be different. That gets us into the different types of truth that there are. There's relative truth, and there's objective truth. Relative truths are the beliefs or that are subject. Beliefs of a subject or circumstance, they're about determine whether a fact is true or not. Um, uh, a relative truth is something that is true uh, based on personal opinions or personal preferences. Um, those, those are examples of subjective truths. Uh, for instance, I may say truth for me might be chocolate ice cream is the best flavor, and Justin may say his objective truth is vanilla ice cream or whatever your favorite flavor is. I don't, I don't How dare you? I'm sorry. I'm just joking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd probably say vanilla. I'm, yeah. a pretty, I'm a pretty plain guy. That's okay. And, and uh, subjective truths can also be, they're, they're relative or relative truths, subjective, either one. Um, they change with differing circumstances. Like one day I might say, okay, uh, a long sleeve shirt is the best shirt. It might be fall. When the summer rolls around, I say short sleeve shirt's the best shirt. It just depends on the circumstances that I'm in, what my personal quote-unquote, truth would be. Um, the problem with relative truth or subjective truth is it leads to relativism or relative truth. Now, I'll cover that in a second, but just keep put a pin in that. Objective truth, on the other hand, is truth that is, is something that's true and logical all the time. It doesn't change. Um, we've established that truth corresponds to reality and must be logical. Therefore, truth is objective. If it exists outside, or objective truth exists outside of personal beliefs, opinions, and circumstances, uh, to steal a coined phrase of our time at the moment, facts 
or truths don't care about your feelings. It's irregardless of any personal feelings or beliefs. Right. It doesn't care. It doesn't it care. It does not care. At all. It's undeniable. No. I told you to put a pin in the in relativism. Did you put a pin? Did you? I did. No, no, I I'm, I'm sorry, I was talking to our audience. Oh. Did you put a pin? Did you? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Go ahead. Very aggressive this morning. That's very aggressive, yes. <laughs> okay, so relativism. What would happen, Justin, I'll ask you this question. What would happen if all truth was subjective or relative? What happened if it was all subjective or relative? If all truth was subjective or relative, what would happen? Well, then if I went to punch you in the face, not saying I would. But if I was going to... That's more circumstantial truth. I'm talking about the subjective oh. or relative. Subjective. Uh, more back to our like our math equation. Like 1 plus 1 is 2, or 4 plus 4 is 8, but depending on who you ask, it could be different. Um, well, if well, we went what, with that example, happen? yeah, thank you. That's helpful, actually. What, what, what would happen to society if all truth was subjective or relative? Chaos. Complete chaos. Absolutely. Yeah. But the problem is we kind of live with it. In our society, we kind of see that. Um, we, we hear it a lot. We hear uh, phrases like, uh, live your truth, or that may be true for you, but I don't agree with that. Or another one, uh, you do you. That's one I tend to hear quite often. Mm -hmm. You do you, you, you've probably heard it. We've both been on college campuses. Yeah. Or, or another one, your opinions are valid. That's another one I've heard in that context, in the context of truth or opinions. Now, opinions are one thing. It's great to have opinions. But when you make the opinions your reality, sometimes that can cause a problem. Do you understand where I'm coming from? No, I understand where you're coming from. Okay. If I can steal a quote from Ravi Zacharias, um, he says, quote, Truth by definition is exclusive. If truth were all-inclusive, nothing could be called false. If nothing is false, everything could be said to be true, thus making truth irrelevant. Now, this kind of runs back to our standard in our second point. If there is no standard, then everything's just a toss-up game. If there's nothing, if there is no true and false, if there is no set standard of what true and false are, then you couldn't say anything's true and you can't say anything's false. If everything is true according to subjective relativism mm -hmm. or relative truths, then and nothing can be false, then true and false have no meaning anymore. It, it's, it's, up, it's, it's, it's up to anyone what they want. And we saw in the Bible verses when, when people did this, the Lord gave them up to what it, their sinful desires, which, Verse most, 22. People, which yeah. most people will pursue. Yeah. Oh, and go with the story, actually. It, it, we don't need a story to know this because in the Joe Rogan episode, there, the clip that we showed you or that we were listening to, um, that's prevalent. Like the guy, uh, Sebastian Younger was saying himself, he was like, he was like, uh, he would literally like, he, he said everything that was objective about that scenario, mm -hmm. but then subjectively said he was still an atheist subjectively still said mm -hmm. like, well, that's his, that's I don't, his prerogative. He exactly. That. Exactly. You know he what I mean? That. So it's just like, I guess that's kind of where the subjectivity of it is. There's sort of like this absurdity to it. Mm -hmm. There's this like, irony to subjectivity like somebody will say yeah this is my truth live your truth mm -hmm. that's very ironic extremely absurd too um what i was thinking of is more uh the guy we listened to he had one of the more extreme examples of being shown objectively what happens you know we all we all die right. objectively he was dying that's an objective truth that no one can understand and he, he said he felt this sense of being pulled down into like a pit or something. 
Maybe it was hell, maybe it was an hallucination. I'm not here to say. I can't say I wasn't there. But he took that objective reality that he was faced with and he went, no, that, that, that can't really be happening. He even said, it. it's not heaven, it's not hell. I'm an atheist. So it didn't fit in his worldview, so he rejected it. Right. Yes. Which is absurd. Again, it, is it goes absurd. back to well, what I was Bible, saying with the metaphor. The, I mean, if you go to the verses that we talked about, the Bible calls them calls people fools. Yeah. There is a God. Yeah. You can't deny it. It's everywhere. Going back to our point, if there is no standard or absolute truth, anything goes, and there is no way to make any logical assessments about reality. Relativism, as we followed it through our hypotheticals here, it leads to absurdity and illogical outcomes. Aside, aside from this, if you take the stance of relativity or moral relativity or whatever you choose, uh, there is no room for morality or ethics because if everything is subjective to everyone, morality for one person or ethics for one person may not be eth ethical or something for another person. Exactly. Everyone does what's in his own mind. Exactly. We know the heart is wicked. As, as believers, we know there's, there's the verse, um, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things. Right. Who can know it? Also, the problem with relativity, it allows, it defies the law of non-contradiction. It allows for impossibilities. Uh, statement A and statement B can both simultaneously be true, which is illogical. So relativism defies logic. Yep. To, gonna... well, to kind of recap, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no, as in the story that we, that we, we listen to, and you can click on the link with the Mr. Joe Rogan's podcast, there's not one piece of evidence, I'm going to stress this because it, it, it took me so long to get this. There's not one piece of evidence you can give someone. There's not a life or death, there's not a death experience someone can have. There's not a, uh, an aha moment that'll work 100% all the time with everybody. It's more, if you're trying to reach people, or if you're trying to, if you're looking into this per se as a non-believer, if you're a skeptic, if you're looking at this, there's not one thing that's going to convince you. It's especially for our believers, if you're reaching out to someone, it's it's the the thought or the emotion behind it. If you come at it in a sense of love and trying to just care for that person, I found it works a lot better trying to reach someone that way and your attitude during the whole process than the actual evidence you give them. Because if someone converts purely on evidence alone, it's only going to take counter evidence to whatever they saw to easily lead them right back away from from God. Yeah, and I think Tim and I had discussed doing uh, another episode or doing like a kind of a multi-part multi series to this concept um, so we can kind of really dive into it. And Absolutely. I think that we're definitely going to have to go with that and make that happen because this is good stuff. Yeah, and I've got, I've got more. <laughs> yeah. So that's all for now. Uh, thank you for listening to the Gospel Vanguard podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for more and have a blessed day.